0: Bad
1: and bo- Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. I'm Erica. And I'm Amy. And uh, happy Sunday. Yay. It's uh, not a long weekend for me or Erica or me.
0: Or you. Yeah. Or, oh, you're working tomorrow too, mm-hmm. eh? Oh. Are you yeah. on federal holidays?
2: We have the option of a floater holiday to compensate. So, yeah, we're on floor, floater holidays. Oh. And we can kind of choose if we want to apply a I holiday see. to this day. I from, see. From, Interesting. Yeah.
0: What? What's the other floater, floater holidays? I don't a know. I think it's just day?
2: because, no, remember and say we take, we just have this as a floater, ho- floater holiday because we have people working on both sides mm, of right. the border <laughs> feels weird to say it. it's a border <laughs> with Quebec yeah but it is it, absolutely no it tec- when I
1: worked technically in is. Quebec you would get Saint-Jean-Baptiste day in yeah. June but then on, in Ontario you get the August long weekend right and so coming from BC Saint-Jean-Baptiste day doesn't exist yeah. so it was just very weird to yeah. get one and then not the other that you're used to very strange and so many other provinces share that
0: holiday too—the August one. Yeah, yeah. This mm-hmm. is like in Alberta. I think it's just a civic holiday. Yeah, or is it Heritage Day?
1: No, it's a civic holiday. It's I'm it pretty civic? sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. Something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There should definitely be more of them. Holidays.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Big time. America well, has one almost every month. Like there should be one literally. A month. One a month
2: is like the lowest threshold of the number of holidays I think would be appropriate.
0: I totally agree.
1: Slowly, totally. we'll work our way up
0: to four-day weeks,
1: and then the UK <laughs> has got all of these like actual made-up holidays. Like it's a bank holiday. Oh, they just yeah. call I never understand a bank what, what bank holidays are. Yeah, <laughs> like what? Like just call them a holiday. You don't As, need to call it a bank holiday, especially in summer. They seem to have one like every other weekend. Yeah. What a life! Wow. How yeah, but that?
0: It's, but it's Britain. Ugh. But
1: how do we? How, I mean we technically belong to them. So why can't we bring that over? Like if we're going to take anything from them, that's what I want. We should take nothing from them. Okay. Not their cuisine. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, fish and chips are great. (laughs) Except Um, the chips part. The chips are better on this side. My brother. So my mom used to make shepherd's pie when we were children and my brother one day was just like, "Why are you serving us dog food?" Oh no, no! Your brother was why?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they would probably tell you, "Was it made with beef?" Yeah, they would probably tell you that's cottage
1: pie. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, well, um, great. Um, I, you know what? I was mostly just pleased to have had a weekend off for once. That's it. Yeah, no working twelve days in a row. That was good. Some I, don't,
0: I don't know how you do it. I shouldn't even
1: talk, but anyway.
0: <laughs> well, I'm returning to work tomorrow.
1: <laughs> I can't wait to hear all your stories.
0: <laughs> I will be like, do you know that somebody just said pensionable time? You should have a bingo card. Oh my gosh, I would love. I have so many words to <laughs> add to
2: that. Oh my God, pensionable should- time is a really good one. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Credits. <laughs> um, that's another good one
1: oh, there's just so many Dock anytime
2: it. someone t- uses an acronym
1: oh which yeah. i mean that's the first one you'll but get but it's yeah. not even you it's not even there. the use of an acronym it's trying to make the acronym into a word right and like you're not just gonna say like that's universally accepted by the way absolutely so yeah. like so like department of fisheries and oceans becomes dfo right but like i can you know saying like the letters is fine but when you try to get you know i'm trying to think of one
2: well it's how why everyone tries to say p i used to say p you're not supposed to say PSAC. i know Show some respect. Well, um what,
1: what, oh like public health agency use Hack, yeah p Hack or oh yeah that's gross uh fac i call it fac oh vac no fac oh. which one's P-H-A-C. FAC? And then there's vac, which is better well. Yeah. Well, what's vac right. though? Public health. Oh, because of the PA. Oh, PA. because of the F- Oh, I was look waiting at for you. An F. Look at you. <laughs> what?
0: Okay, this is very inside baseball. It is. We're, <laughs> we're sorry. We're talking about the federal government. Evidence. I feel like
2: there's probably a lot of people listening to this though who are in the public service oh, or adjacent. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. It's a very Ottawa um,
1: convo. If you don't work in the government, tweet us. <laughs> <laughs> um
0: anyway but in in between in the meantime i will be rebranding my business is still here and the podcast is still here so i will have like five jobs i don't know how you're gonna do it i'm afraid you're gonna leave us
2: i can't we're gonna (laughs) or just collapse we're gonna have to find someone to like edit the pod
0: well i'm just saying that when i take a vacation that means i'm i'm not working like yeah i'm not one of these people you have to anymore. create some <laughs> serious boundaries between that yeah, yeah i'm not yeah. one of these i'm not one of these people anymore who are just like oh i'm on vacation but my but my i was gonna say blackberry and i'm like oh look i'm i'm i'm, I'm falling That's into how long line you've been out. <laughs> Jesus. i'm falling into line um i i was yeah but like this is why your rest time is just so important Mm -hmm. and you need to Mm -hmm. like adhere to it. Like we were just having a conversation off, off air about just how we're like tired and it's like February, we do a lot of shit Mm -hmm. and that is a, that is cumulative. Mm. So all I'm saying is just, we should all give each other a break because it's not like we're lazy people
1: also maybe don't shame people when they aren't <laughs> social when you think they should be social which happened to me last night on saturday <laughs> another off-air convo we yeah had. because <laughs> i was it was like nine o'clock and someone was like oh like what are you doing tonight and i was like i am drinking wine watching tv and i have a face mask on and i can't wait to go to bed in like an hour and they said uh wow going to bed at 10 o'clock on a saturday and i said you know what, like, I don't have to explain myself to you. I am a functioning adult, and I am able to make my own decisions. And if I don't want to go out and spend money in winter, mm-hmm. especially, I don't have to. And that not really only that, none no, of that, your goddamn business. That really
0: spoke to me. I not only that, like you're not a fucking hermit. Like it's not like no you. It's all like work, own. come home, and play video games all all evening,
2: which is fine too. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs>
0: I saw that. <laughs> I
1: have no comments on that whatsoever. All right. I'm
0: rewatching Game of Thrones. I just want to
1: put that out there for everybody. Listen, I've been watching reruns of The Nanny. Oh, really? Love it. it yeah, it's it, on Amazon Prime. It's so good. Oh, okay. The show is better than I remember. She's just so wonderful. Oh, yeah. Fran Drescher, what a national treasure. I sense. met her once in real what? life. Are you yeah. fucking kidding me Yeah, right I now? did. You She's met...
0: tiny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally tiny. Her oh, and uh, what's what's dude, who... this was in Kingston, of all places. God. Yeah, like just over there, like an hour and a half away at Kingston, I met Fran Drescher and Ackroyd, damn Ackroyd. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's nice. what a funny really... pairing. Well, they're really good friends, apparently. Go figure. Yeah. I mean, I, can, I guess Dan, I can see it. Dan Aykroyd has his um, his winery or his vineyard. Oh yeah, yeah. And so they they were just I guess they <laughs> must have been at his vineyard, and I'm assuming it was like in it's in Ontario. But um, yeah, she's um, there. You. Go. She's really nice, actually. I believe that I liked
2: yeah. her a little guest spot on Broad City last season. Oh. She plays Alana's aunt.
1: It's very funny. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It totally
2: checks out, right? And then they all get stoned. It's really fun. Amazing. Yeah.
1: All right, let's get into it. This week in feminism, we're starting off with something that happened in Ontario. A recent Amber Alert caused a ruckus when people felt inconvenienced by receiving it late at night. The alert went out after a child was not returned home following a visit with her father for her birthday. Rupesh Rajkumar, who is 41, Picked up his 11-year-old daughter to celebrate her birthday, and he has been charged with first-degree murder after her body was found in his basement apartment. The body of his daughter, Rhea Rajkumar, was found about an hour after the alert went out in his apartment 30 kilometers northwest of Toronto. Police said Rajkumar's mother contacted police around 7 p.m. that evening due to a concern about her daughter's safety and a parental abduction investigation was launched. Around three or so hours later, police put out an update on social media with a description of Rajkumar and her father, as well as as his vehicle. Once the Ontario Provincial Police collected enough data to issue the the Amber Alert, it was sent shortly after 11.30 p.m., officials asked that for anyone who spotted the vehicle to contact 911 and someone actually did and called the police so the system works so within about an hour of the amber alert being issued for this 11-year-old girl from Brampton um the Ontario 1 Ontario or Ontario 911 centers received a deluge of calls from people complaining about the amber alert and how it woke them up um Police in Peel region, uh, one of their spokespersons, Constable Akil Mukin, wrote in a tweet, quote, I can't even begin to describe how disappointing and upsetting it is to read the comments, emails, and calls to our communications bureau complaining about receiving an Amber Alert late at night. I appreciate that a lot of people were sleeping, but the immediate need to locate the child outweighed the momentary inconvenience that some people encountered. The Amber Alert was canceled around 1230 on Friday with officials saying that the child had been located and the details about how Rajkumar died have not been released. So just a couple facts about Amber Alerts. Um, so for those of you who don't know, uh, Amber Alert is a program um, that ur- issues an urgent bulletin. Um, And it was established in Texas in 1996. It uses electronic highway signs, it uses local broadcasters and wireless signals to announce a name and a description of an abducted abducted child and the description of any vehicle or individuals involved in the crime. So this was real big on Twitter uh, last week. And so are people just being petty bitches and annoyed that this Amber Alert you know, inconvenience them, woke them up, and just like, ugh, ugh. Let's be honest. I mean,
0: for my initial react. Okay, so my initial reaction because I was rewatching Game of Thrones <laughs> at the time. No, yes, season one, episode maybe two. I was on. Okay. Oh, this is so not funny. <laughs> Why are you making me laugh? I was okay. <laughs> But I I understand that there were people out there who decided that instead of rolling back over saying, oh, this doesn't concern me, rolling back over and going to sleep, decided to wake themselves fully up and call 911. How the fuck are you going to call 911? This is my question. However, so that's one thing. The second thing is, I think you can say the Amber Alert system is necessary, but... It needs some fucking tweaking, and st- and be okay. Like I think that that is fair. Well, there's two things. There's the amber amber
2: alert, which is for very specific things like abduction. It's specifically right. for abduction, mm-hmm. not for missing kids in general, which everyone seems to be conflating. It's, sure. it's specifically once the police are able to determine that someone was very yes. likely to have been abducted, then not, they issue an amber alert. Yeah, not and, someone
1: who's run away.
2: Yeah, or or just missing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um... And the other where
0: time is of the essence. Yeah, basis, yeah, but, yeah. But but
2: it is specific for abductions, which is why, for example, in Ottawa there was a seven year old girl who went missing pretty much the next day, and everyone was like, "Where's the Amber Alert for this person?" It's like, "Well, okay, like fair." There could be an emergency alert for missing kids, but that's not what an Amber Alert is. And then the other thing is this new system that we have, which alerts you on your phone, and and it is new, and oh, I've only seen it now a few times. Use the tornado mm-hmm. in Ottawa in the summer and I and I think there was another weather phenomena where we got a a similar alert maybe one of the storms and that's about it I don't recall any any other alerts it's very new it's very like it's t- it's still sort of being developed. So people do have issues with, with the operation of what an emergency alert system, how it works and whatever else. I know people were complaining that it was province wide and, and the girl was abducted in Peel region. And it's like um, fair. Although someone has a four hour lead abducted a child in a car, they could frankly be anywhere in the mm-hmm. province. So like, I don't I mean, I think that's kind of bullshit. But here are people calling 911 in cities where the abduction didn't happen Like where, like just wherever calling 911 and like. Thunder Bay or some shit, complaining about an alert. It's like how many steps away from like just being a reasonable person did you have to be till you thought so selfishly of yourself that the emer- also nine one one is for emergencies,
1: like actual emergency, actual
2: emergency. So like the it's like what we're the, such cognitive dissonance be like, please don't send me non emergency things to me in away from that's not related to me. But also I'm gonna use nine one one, which is specifically for emergency calls, to complain about this. Alert I got on my cell phone an hour ago. Like, what?
1: Yeah. And then these are probably also the same people who make fun of those stories we see occasionally where someone flipped out at a McDonald's because their fries were cold or they took too long and called 911.
2: I mean, this is pretty much a uh, white lady gets upset and calls the manager. Absolutely, I was about.
0: The to, say, I was about but to these say, are the can I These place, are the same. Talk to your manager. Yeah. I, oh my god. Listen, why Linda. You, why are you guys like sucking everything I'm about, like thinking, just out of my brain? Because I exactly. I was like, this is the woman that calls the manager at any deep, any sort of inconvenience mm-hmm. whatsoever. This is also a problem with white people especially especially gentrifying and suburban white people who love to use like like government services as their own personal like bodyguards and their own personal complaint mechanism why the fuck don't you go on twitter like everybody else Mm -hmm. go on twitter fine you want to express (laughs) your outrage go on twitter that's what it's for not 911. Yeah, yeah. The but the thing is is that like these alerts were going as far as Manitoba, as far as Winnipeg. And I'm just like I think the system needs some tweaking.
2: I mean, whatever. I mean, getting sure. a,
0: like getting out of Toronto on a Thursday at any time is taking like Okay, but
2: but and then this is sort of why we're getting away from the real issue like this amber alert things a bit of a distraction to the real crux of the story which is that one a father like killed his daughter had previously told the mother that he was going to kill her and kill himself kill the daughter and kill himself when the mother reported to the police that the daughter wasn't dropped off at home the like she had conveyed that threat to them so why is it that it took four hours for the police to then search his house and find the the daughter, Rhea, killed there several hours later? Well, because she would have been... She, uh, we, I mean, we don't know where she was killed. Presumably, she was killed where the body was found, which is in the father's home. Mm-hmm. So there is an issue, and and it's kind of frustrating to hear the police make such a big deal about this Amber Alert thing, which almost seems like a distraction to the fact that they had very relevant information at a a very timely moment at 7 p.m. And now they're saying, well, the, the Amber Alert worked because someone tipped us off to where the car was. And it's like, was it shocking to you that the car was in front of his house, though? Like, you didn't know where he lived? Like, you could have done all of that and you might have even found her... Alive had you listened to what the mother had said initially and taken her concern seriously from the get-go mm-hmm. like we don't know this is all kind of conjecture but there were four hours between when the alert went out and when the mother warned and when the mother said she wasn't home.
1: well and there was also like three hours before they d- even put something out on social media which mm-hmm. is like almost worse because like what they if there's a child missing reported missing Mm -hmm. and there's a credible threat or not a credible threat like why not put that out earlier like I just I guess we just don't know their protocols Well, well
0: it's funny you should mention that because I think that what we're working through here is kind of like what a system would look like so for example number one is like you said there were four hours when I was reading the stories on this um, the the guy who's been uh, the most vocal on, on the Peel Police um, force was just saying that uh, number one, he's like, well, a lot there are certain criteria that needs to be followed, and so apparently it took them four hours to figure out whether or not this this abduction case followed the criteria or whether it was an attempt. Adup- abduction case i have questions about that kind of time especially with um especially with a procedure that is so time sensitive yeah. second of all they also said that oh we went there around seven and we didn't see any activities so I, I would like the police to account for what happened between mm-hmm. seven mm-hmm. and eleven thirty when this went out to be honest When the child did not come home at the specified time, I don't see why you can't put something out on social media. Do you know where so and so is? She was last here. Da 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 da. Whatever. But I
2: don't know that any of that would have really helped because she clearly wasn't at home with the father the, that whole time. Like the issue should have just been like.
0: I don't know if we know that though. Well, we don't know if he went somewhere and yeah, then came yeah. back and so on and so forth. Sure. Whatever. But the point is, is like social media is that's what it's for. Like if you use it properly, mm. you know? If you. If you put out, um, it doesn't have to be alarmist. It just has to be, you know, um, we've been informed of such and such event, okay? This is where we are now. Social media is a place in time. It is not, it is not, I don't think that if, if a couple hours later, if the girl was found alive and safe, that that would make it less credible. That's my point and so i feel like they waited too long like you said to put it out on twitter and facebook mm-hmm. and so on and i would really like to know what happened between those times what were the police doing
1: yeah it it's it, i find it a little weird because like the police can kind of get whatever information they want like much more it's much more readily available to mm-hmm. them than let's say our reporter mm-hmm. right whereas like a reporter can Work relatively quickly to confirm a story and facts and through sources and all these things. So it just f- strikes me as odd that it took this amount of time. And again, like I don't know what the procedures are or the policies behind the like social media thing and like how what their like threshold for like certainty is before they put something out, which I'm obviously there must be. Well, I think the standard is usually.
2: It used to be 24 hours to report a missing person. So I don't know if it's still that. And I think with abduction, it's a little bit different. It can Mm. be faster, but you would need like proof of that. And the issue is, you know, I think police are very deferential to, um, you know, men and custody arrangements that, you know, where they want to. Uh, they're they're deferential to this sort of like right of the parent in this weird way and then not really respectful of like the evidence that the clearly the mother gave here about a history of violence and a history of threats towards Mm -hmm. uh self-harm and towards the daughter um that i think really could have like escalated like how quickly they got a warrant to search and and or even just get like going into the like you know, I think that gives you fairly probable grounds for getting a warrant um, and searching the the residence. I don't really know why it took uh that long and those are really important questions that we should be asking and it just sort of irks me a little bit that the press conference held by the police focused so much on how hurt they were that people used 911 to complain which is like really fucked up also but almost seemed to shirk their own responsibility and in the delay and their own disbelief of of what happened.
0: Well, I think you bring up a good point which is um the fact that they are complaining about us means that we're not complaining about them mm-hmm. and so and the media I don't know if they're just like I, I I don't know I I just don't know why they're so easily led by this by by this smoke screen like I I really don't know because I feel like they're the ones that should be asking those questions. Like, let's Mm -hmm. get down to the crux Mm -hmm. of this stuff Mm -hmm. and say, but instead, all we've been treated to for the past few days are fucking op-eds chastising us for, for, you know, being a little bit pissed off that we're inconvenienced. Yeah, okay, fine. But here's my thing, like... Mm -hmm. Like you're the media, yeah, you should yeah. be asking the right questions, you should be putting it in the right context. We're not gonna get that access. You should to, be framing yeah. things. You have access and mm-hmm. you can ask the questions. So my question is why weren't why aren't we talking about that? Mm-hmm. Why aren't we talking about the procedure instead? i open the i i i don't open the paper let's
1: be honest um but i like that you're opening my figurative figurative very well i i
0: did open a figurative newspaper (laughs) but like but my question then becomes for peel police Mm. Mm -hmm. so why wasn't um the mother's uh complaints or or you know complaints taken seriously why yeah. why do women still have to struggle with being taken seriously mm-hmm. by the police that should be the headline now fucking scott gilmore telling me that i'm a bad person because i just dis- i know i said scott gilmore i'm sorry Amy. <laughs> <Drink>. uh, <laughs> you know like telling me i'm a bad person and all these op-eds
1: telling me that i'm that that people are just horrible. I have two questions. Mm. One is, would you not think that the police wanted to get the tweet out during a time where there's more people on social media? And instead of at like, 11.30 Instead PM. of at like 10.30. Like sports yeah. Twitter is very active between like 6 and 10 p.m. when all the sports are happening. And there are people online actively participating in conversations at that time. Ten thirty rolls on. People are getting to bed. Well, and,
2: and same for the same for the emergency alert. Yeah, going out at eleven thirty, which I I mean I appreciate that there are a number of steps yeah. into getting that out there, but yeah, you're right. Like, and I mean, ultimately, quote unquote, it worked because people spotted the car. But I mean, the car was in front of their residence. I'm really surprised that the police couldn't have spotted the car. I feel yeah. like they could have put somebody out there,
0: mm-hmm. sat on the. um I don't know, maybe
2: we're missing some key piece of fact, but I feel but like there's an under, definitely an under-reporting of like, the sequence
0: of events that happened. And you know what follows from that question about that procedure is are police relying more on these technological fixes more and more rather than old-fashioned
1: police work? Mm-hmm. That's my question. So my second question <laughs> is... If this had been a white family, would they have, you know, do you think that they may have acted faster?
2: Ooh. I mean, it, it's possible. But, um, I mean, this whole thing does have me thinking about how we, um, one, treat and talk about femicide. Um, it's interesting that it hasn't been reported in the context of that study that was released at the end of January mm-hmm. that said every 2.5 days, a woman or girl is killed in Canada. Um, so... That's like I mean a staggering statistic, and no one's really like picked up on on yep. that. But and there's a broader conversation about how we as do community sort of work to look after each other and respond in situations like this. Like in a sense, I, I like the idea of the emergency system and that we're all like sensitive to like this is a crime against the community when women are are kidnapped or abducted or even if we had alerts for missing children or women or whatever Um, but we don't really give a fuck about missing and murdered indigenous women in this country. Um, And if we did, there'd Mm -hmm. be like a million alerts going off constantly. You know what I mean? Which is, I think fine, but no one's really clued into that. Um, And in the way that you see people sharing like missing posters for like white women. Right. When we talk about that, people have talked about that for a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. Whether they took the mother's complaint seriously because she was brown and, and she's racialized and her kids racialized. I mean, that's very possible. It's it's super possible. And you hear how people talk dismissively about, you know, um, racialized folks and violence in racialized communities as being like domestic violence in brown communities mm-hmm. as being different um, in nature. It's cultural. Like it's we've had natural. That, for we've had that those barbaric people. practices hotline yeah, bullshit, yeah. you know, and I, I don't know. There is like probably some uh, racial bias that that exists. I don't know if it was like existed necessarily in this context, but. I mean, I'm not surprised and I'm not surprised that people are like also really like seemingly so shocked by this, but not willing to connect it to broader issues of violence because I think for a lot of people they can chalk it up to, oh, well, this this crazy father or this like whatever outlier of a person or this, you know, marginalized brown man like acted irrationally in this way in a script that we somehow have accepted is like just true on its face instead of saying, well, no, actually violence against women is universal and happens yeah, in all these there's ways.
0: definitely a hierarchy of gender-based violence mm. and who commits it. And, um, first off, I have no doubt that, number one, I think the police in general, um, just don't believe women in general and they definitely don't believe racialized women. Mm-hmm. So, um, So which we'll talk about in a moment. uh, Yeah, exactly. And so um, I do think that we do couch violence against women for racialized people in sort of these biological ways. Well, that's just how they are. That's just how they were raised. That was just just as though it's somehow um, foreign Mm -hmm. to the Anglo-Saxon um, family unit or something and it the fuck is not it is not in fact I would say that um, you know it was kind of enshrined especially if you look at the Indian Act right
1: yeah so, so I think I think we broadly agree that you know the amber alert system and other alerting systems public alerting systems are beneficial but we have talked about how there could be improvements mm-hmm. do you have any specifically like specific ways that you think that it could be the system could be improved on or
2: i think it would be helpful for if people understood what it was for and what kinds of things could be captured by it um and i think it just an adjusting of like our collective thinking because i think we we're all a little bit isolated and i feel like a lot of those people calling 911 or people with you know fences around their homes in communities where they don't often think of their neighbors or community beyond their, you know, cul-de-sac, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's like a piece of public education um, yeah.
0: that that's sorely needed. Um, I'm concerned about these, this alert system only being on an LTE network. And the reason is, is that, what if you live in a 3G area? Oh, interesting. So you don't get the alert. Interesting. So you. So in other words. I didn't know
2: that it was only on LTE.
0: Yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's on LTE networks. And I'm just yeah. like. So rural so, areas. So basically, if you're in a rural area, what, you don't get the alerts. Number one. Number two is yeah, do you have to scary. have the latest phone to yeah. like get an alert? So basically what mm-hmm. you're doing is you are you're separating the haves from the have nots mm-hmm. in terms of safety. What the fuck is that? And if we had, if we would stop focusing on other people being shitty, okay, fine. We've publicly denounced the people being shitty. Can we move on to like the real issue now? Because those questions, I think, are fair. And I think CRTC has to answer those questions because that's their
1: domain. Girl, I'm just saying. I didn't know that. All right, so the Ottawa Police have released an internal report detailing the depth of mistrust some people feel about their, our police force. The report was done by the Ottawa Police Outreach Liaison Team, a temporary unit led by Inspector Isabelle Granger that was f- formed after the fatal arrest of Abderrahman Abdi in July 2016. The team's mandate was to repair the fractured relationship between police and the c- city's black and other ethnic communities. The report was completed in May 2017, and a two-page summary was presented at an Ottawa Police Services Board meeting that month. The report is the full report is 142 pages, and it contains two overreaching and recurring themes: a fear and mistrust of police, and concerns about leadership, accountability, and transparency. The report says, quote, some immigrants see the police force as associated with physical threats, lootings, and killings, adding later that the level of mistrust is elevated among some marginalized youths, especially in Somali, Black, Indigenous, and Arab communities. And the parents of these children are also, quote, greatly concerned for the safety of their youth and any interaction with the police. And of course, you know, mistrust in policing is spreading to other communities. There is shock and disappointment about police behavior from middle class communities who traditionally had no issues with policing um, according to the report and the report actually also includes a long list of recommendations some of which have been tossed around in various Ottawa police reports reviews and consultations since the mid-1990s good to see that change and progress is slow (laughs) Um, some of those recommendations include, one, adding to the police force's values that Ottawa police are committed to a diverse and non-discriminatory police service. How that's not already in there? I don't know. Two, an acknowledgement from the the police chief that systemic barriers, discrimination, biases, and racism exist in the force. Good fucking luck. Three, identify and implement a way to measure and track accountability. Ah for uh preventing officers implicated from an in, in an incident from interacting with the community until they are cleared and finally uh review the mandate of the Guns and Gangs unit. So Ottawa Police Chief Charles Bordeleau who will be retiring soon bless our <laughs> souls wrote in an email that some of the recommendations have resulted in change, okay? And <laughs> And pointed to the creation of the Community Equity Council. Congratulations. A new hiring effort focused on visible minorities and the launch of the internal diversity audit. Uh, Inspector Isabel Granger, who led the team, said that the recommendations now form the foundation of the force's multi-year bias-neutral policing strategy. They're going to fail hard as fuck. Listen. Listen. When I... such... Saw this and I saw that the person who led the consultations on diversity was a fucking white woman. <laughs> I was like, well, it's fucked.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't consider white women a part of diversity. Listen. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. Yeah, no. And the
1: thing is, like, and it doesn't matter to me. If the white woman is leading it and not leading the consultations because she's leading the team and therefore she is dictating the way the consultations go.
0: Why, why are white women just like exempt from any sort (laughs) of like, like analyses on white supremacy?
1: Let's, and also don't try to tell me that there aren't women of color in the police force that could have led this team because the person who is in charge of the uh, community equity council we saw, as we saw on Twitter is a woman of color is a woman of color. Exactly. So why couldn't she lead it?
0: Look, I, you know what? I'm sorry. I also think
1: she was a sergeant. And then I guess like, I guess, you know, inspector, sergeant, they are different positions. Fine. Sure. But that is I beside st- the point. I thought so. I don't know what. I, I,
0: don't, I don't. I just. Anyway. Don't I'll, correct me because I don't care. Number one. Also. I mean, this should surprise no one. Uh, Number two. This was done in 2017. I was
2: going to say. Why
0: been, yeah. are they only releasing it now? They've been sitting on it. It's so they've so been sitting strange. on it for two years, and I I don't know is that supposed to inspire trust and accountability?
2: Okay, but like, and then the way they spin it is like, look at the work that we did by talking to a thousand people and putting this report together. I'm like,
0: you've barely done anything. Yeah,
1: but also like, if one of the recommendations uh, is for the chief, the police chief, to acknowledge that systemic barriers, discrimination, biases, and racism exist, um, it's been two years. Where's that been? Mm-hmm. hasn't it happened ain't, it ain't coming well yeah i'm not holding my breath
0: so what they decide to release this after bordolo retire announced his retirement well yeah or around not his the problem. same time so it's not his problem
1: like no that. they're they're if eff- effectively creating a kind of like racialized glass cliff where like in the event that they put in a racialized police chief they have to now deal with all the you know, mm-hmm. the problems mm-hmm. that this implementing these issue these recommendations no, could it's, have. And they're kind of they had for failure. They
2: started, they started this project just to say that they did. And they waited until it was opportune, like until, yeah, Bordello didn't have to deal with it himself and that he could distance himself fr- from it as much. And I mean, I don't know that we'll have a race- racialized police chief, but you know we might but regardless whoever it is is now going to have to shoulder yep. the trouble with us and and it's it's not a secret i mean the outreach uh, team uh that put the report together said that they were subject to quote unquote hostile treatment from community members okay well sure cuz you're police doing this work and that's what the report says so not surprised but also from other police officers and so it mm-hmm. they're not making a secret of the fact that it looked like there was an intention to keep this kind of quiet or that they were working against a lot of resistance, but that it sat there for, for two years is pretty, uh, it's pretty astonishing. It's shady. And then they released it right around the time of the, of, uh, of the Rahman's uh, trial is also a little.
1: So the Abdirman Abdi trial has started in Ottawa. I think we talked about it last week or the week before. And, uh, some of these police officers went to support their colleague in his trial where he's facing, Uh, manslaughter charges.
0: The head of the police union was walking up there in solidarity with him under his own indictment. What the fuck does that say about this entire system? And we have what seems to be an inept um, city council like city oversight count- body, oversight body that can do nothing and does nothing. So where is the accountability? And I would also like to point out that in November of last year, twenty eighteen, um, a census was done, and it reveals a quote deep divide over the forces' attempts to diversify its ranks, and suggests. Leadership has a long way to go to mend morale, unquote, by CBC. By the way, if you want to follow this, I recommend you follow Judy Trin, who has Mm -hmm. been absolutely excellent and the only person, basically, who's been doing this work at CBC Ottawa. Or
2: anywhere else. I feel like no one wants to read 146 pages. Exactly.
0: So she walks so we can run. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, Judy. Um, But, yeah, like, I, I truly believe that they created this environment and now they're saying oh well we had a bad environment but we we did the most basic like thing possible and look we've done something you've done nothing you've literally done nothing and it's not only racialized people women But you know what warms my heart? You know what fucking warms my heart? The fact that middle class white people are like, you know what? We're not down with the (laughs) popo. That is surprising to me. It's not to me. And I'll tell you why. Because issues, social issues may start in marginalized areas, but they always are. They're always a microcosm of what's what the attitude is in the macro sphere. They're just a microcosm and a leading indicator. It's not that racialized communities are worse or, or better or whatever. It is that they feel the impact of social change, social policy, um, either way, bad or good, uh, first and more acutely than in the larger community. So to me, I'm like, well... It was eventually going to spill over because, again, who can feel safe with the Ottawa police around?
1: Yeah. So what does this report mean for policing more generally, if anything? They got a brand
0: problem (laughs) at the very least, which will impede their ability to to investigate anything, anything. Because once you see a police, o- I know when I see a police officer, I'm like, I think I'm going to do like I do those group of white boys. I'm just going to cross the street. because well, I don't want to deal.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's not just an issue with investigating. It's that people won't report when That's violence it. happens yeah, to yeah, them. So. Yeah. You know, you have a, you have uh, and I mean, that increases the risk of, of uh, people experience violence, including intimate partner violence, domestic violence. You don't feel safe going to police going to report to police services. So like it is definitely has a gendered element to it as well. The thing that's frustrating is it's it's they were so resistant to collecting any data at all when they were asked by the Ontario Human Rights Commission to collect data on carding. They were very resistant to it. They had said that they'd been collecting it for a time. They weren't really doing anything with it. And they, you know, so-called got rid of carding. and, And you still have people... Uh, on, from on the force and from leadership positions complaining that it is uh, preventing them from doing real policing. So I don't know that they're going to take up any of these recommendations, and if they do, they're going to do it kicking and screaming and complaining that it's impeding their police work in the same way that they did with, uh, with the, ch- with the um, traffic stops, right?
0: Right, because apparently the Ottawa police can't do police work without violating people's rights.
1: Yeah, and so um, there was an announcement this week that the Ontario government is looking to revamp uh, police accountability um, because it over-investigates officers. So Ontario Attorney General Carolyn Mulrooney, Fuck her. <laughs> ...said that police officers facing independent investigations languish under a cloud of suspicion. How the fuck would she know? She just got here. And... Uh, it was going to speed up the process of the PC government to revamp police accountability this spring. So great.
2: But they're still be investigated by, um, as they're not, the being, SIU. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah, not this. investigated by a new, like they're not going to create a new body. That no. would be too, uh, no, too, are, too, too optimistic <laughs> for me to th- imagine that they're actually going <laughs> to respond to all the criticisms around, so that oversight issue. What not with Carolina? They're just inventing their, their the own case. their own oversight concerns that.
1: So what languish. steps could the Ottawa police and really any other racist police uh, take All to change their culture? Actually, you know what? We don't hear a lot about the Vancouver police. I've
0: heard about the Calgary police though. Sure.
1: But like the Vancouver police for a very long time had a an Asian police chief. Um I th- and he recently retired and he was very very well respected. I'm not sure who their police chief is now, but like there are a lot of like racialized people in the force and I think that's obviously just a symptom of the demographic. Um but I I've never like these types of reports we don't see from BC and like the the municipal police. I'm not going to talk about the RCMP because that's a different story. Say, yeah. yeah, they're just No, they're just a clusterfuck. <laughs> But yeah, so like, what 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 is a what does a meaningful change look like? Um, first of
0: all, it doesn't. It only starts with recruitment. It doesn't end at recruitment. Recruitment is just the base of what you do. Because I would like to know, and I was at that town hall that uh, the police chief had with uh, the police chief and other. Members of Ottawa institutions had on racial disparity in in their organizations, and they seem to think that um, that the problem begins and ends with just more more brown and black bodies in their ranks. And I'm like, which I found woefully short sighted.
1: Which like is fine, but like those people aren't going to be in positions of power for like many years if they get there exactly
0: okay because the ottawa police also has a problem with promoting women and people of color so i don't know so what you're gonna have a two-tier system where what are we we're gonna create an ottawa police plantation like where (laughs) all you have are like racialized people on the field in the field and then the overseers and then the chiefs are all oh, white. Fuck. Cause that's what they're purporting to do. And I'm just like, really, really? So that's going to solve. No, your culture is screwed. Okay. Your culture is one where, uh, white man rule supreme. Their considerations rule supreme And they seem to be one of the few people who tend to get promoted to these senior positions of accountability. So, yes, it begins with a diverse force, but it's not the end. That's only the beginning. You would have to change the culture within that force to start believing women, to start believing, to start treating people of color with respect, and as we've seen with the Bruce with the Bruce MacArthur case, mm-hmm. this is not just OPS. Mm-hmm. This is Toronto, too, that they have. And it doesn't matter that Mark Saunders is a black man, does it?
1: Yeah. So obviously that's not the issue. So basically Ottawa's fucked even if they have a police chief of color. That's going to be a fucking wild ride. Ottawa's fucked
0: because Ottawa still believes that it's 19 fucking 55. Okay. That's why Ottawa's fucked because that's how they operate. That's how institutions in Ottawa operate. Okay. Maybe 65. Okay. But the point is, is that they operate as though they're in a completely different uh, environment that they're actually in. Then the, the fastest growing youth in Ottawa are racialized youth, are black youth. Mm -hmm. What do you think that's going to do in terms of police interaction? Like, this is not hard to see, people. It's really not that difficult. So my question would be, what is the Ottawa police willing to do to make this right? Because if the white people are turning on you, you're really fucked.
1: Listen, I said this last week, the fish rots
0: at the head. You did say that. And I thought that was some, like, Marvel, like, quote. And I'm, I feel like it's a quote from some TV show somewhere. I'm
1: going to look this up now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Stay tuned for Rang and Receipts. <laughs> Now we're moving on to rant and receipts. This is where we each bring a rant to share with the others. I will go first.
0: Um, I am going to talk about Toronto, Google, and the tech that never was and may still happen. So Sidewalk Labs is a Google-affiliated company. It's owned by Google's parent company, Alphabet. And it is trying to redevelop a portion of Toronto's waterfront. What they're doing is, for more than a year, Sidewalk has been working on its proposal to develop the Keyside neighborhood into a kind of smart city prototype. A Silicon Valley dream of robots, autonomous cars, intelligent stoplights, and buildings, all using data to make life easier for humans. Um... But according to the report, Sidewalk is seeking to facilitate the development of more than 140 hectares across Toronto's dilapidated waterfront. To expedite the normally glacial pace of public projects, Sidewalk would potentially pay for transit and infrastructure on the underdeveloped waterfront in exchange for a cut of property tax revenue and developer fees. I'm, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> okay. So, Sidewalk, this is not Sidewalk's first um, experience with pushback as it has received pushback in November because it received pressure from the result of, as a result of the key members of its advisory panel, which guided its plans to build a high tech neighborhood. In Toronto. And they resigned, citing deep dismay and profound concern about the project and those behind it. Sa- Sadia Muzaffar, founder of Tech Girls Canada, Bianca Wiley, uh, a privacy advocate and senior fellow at the Center for International Governance and Innovation, and former Ontario Privacy Commissioner Anne Kavukian. Resigned from the advisory panel and sounded the alarm on the opacity with which Sidewalk Labs has been operating concerning data. And I think this is such an important issue. I know that within tech bubbles, this has been like something that everybody's been talking about. I don't think it's spilled into the mainstream as much as it should. So to just put this in perspective, Google wants access to property tax revenue and developer fees for development on the Eastern Toronto waterfront. What the fuck Mm -hmm. is my question? Because, and I, I was tweeting about this, and I remember tweeting, with tax revenue comes policy, So once you give Google tax revenue, my question is, what kind of policies are they going to develop? And the problem with this is the accountability portion, especially, and the transparency. We don't know what data they're going to capture. We don't know what they're going to do with it, how they're going to house it, what kind of restrictions there are to it. And we don't really have a federal, municipal, or provincial policy on this as much as I know. Mm -hmm. And Amy, you can correct me on this one. Um, And so, like, this should sound the alarm for everybody because I think we're only starting to realize how powerful private data is and how much of it is ripe for abuse. Right and that is the concern to be honest the the intersection of data and discrimination is a real one and mm-hmm. i am really 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 concerned about this 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 influx of all this data 90% of the data has been cr- in the world, mm-hmm. has been created in the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. So my question is: without sound policy, without law, it's an out. It's, it's it's like the wild wild west out there, and people's lives can be ruined. And if you want to know what government and 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 like private companies can do with data, first of all, if you want to know what government can do with data, look at China and their social policies having to do with data the way they collect it and to f- the fact that they've made it into like a social cohesion policy where you get a score and your score is relative to some sort of societal i guess input yeah if your score is low enough you can't travel anywhere mm-hmm. so to think that, and and I know there's there's this way of saying, well, it's just China, whatever. But the point is, is that governments can do it here too, and they mm-hmm. can do it piecemeal. Immigration can do it with immigrants. Uh, public health can do it with 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 people on um, government public health insurance. You know, they can refuse to pay for some reason because your data shows X, Y, Z. Maybe you weren't taking ten thousand steps a day. Life insurance companies are now using personal data to set rates. What the fuck is my question? So that's my random receipts.
1: Yeah, there there definitely needs to be more regulations around how companies can use our personal data. And the thing is, is that like lawmakers are just so woefully uneducated and unaware of one how data is collected two, how the companies operate and three, the ramifications for the people who, whose data is being collected and used. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I think it's very, I think it's true that first of all, there's, there's a huge digital literacy divide and lawmakers are no more educated about digital or tech than your grandmother. And, um, so to think, I and I will. <laughs> but it, <laughs> let me let me just say, can I tell this story? So I had a conversation with Scott Bryson recently, uh, <laughs> the outgoing minister of digital whatever government. and uh, digital government, and head of the treasury board. And let's just say we had a a slight dis- disagreement, and it centered on this. Scott Bryson. Is is of the belief because he told this to me that data can like that AI, which uses data and 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 is another form of technology, can eliminate our biases. I said to him mm. that AI has its own internal biases yep. because ninety five percent of the people who are in school for, for this type of technology or or creating programs using these technologies are white males, which means that the technologies are going to favor them as a baseline first, which means that it's just the potential for mistakes for women, for people of color to be caught in this like digital web is so high. And the government that we have in place now does not see that as a problem. Scott Bryson was still working on 2014-2015 views of tech mm-hmm. before we even saw how tech manipulated, and not tech companies, but how tech manipulate. Well, you could say tech companies. Manipulated an election. A Absolutely. U.S. election. And you're still out here with this kind of... Tech is great. There's no problem. Well, meanwhile- it
1: fixes us. Are you kidding me? Meanwhile, like so meanwhile you know canada is trying to like protect our upcoming election but also not really because the people who are making the decisions don't understand the technology i will say even though like we're fucked in canada (laughs) um i will say thankfully we don't have any like octogenarians who are making decisions or like septuagenarians because like they are actually like just don't just like can't understand how it is like in the States. We know we've got those octogenarians and septuagenarians making decisions and trying to like ask questions to Mark Zuckerberg on how Facebook functions and collects data with people without actually understanding how Facebook fundamentally works in the first place, aside from like sharing photos of your grandchildren and like, Oh, like I read this, look at this cool video I found. And like, it's just like your mom on Facebook, but worse. Yeah. They have no clue. Like,
0: I, I, also, I also think that, I mean, if this is the way the government is thinking about tech, about digital, we have a huge problem, an enormous problem, because yeah. what I was trying to tell Mr. Bryson was that women and people of color are going to be unduly punished for, you know, for this data right and it it was like no 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 well we'll f- it'll be fixed by ai and i'm like oh have, my god well
1: clearly scott bryson has never been on instagram when they have those like memes going around where they're like oh like take a photo of your face upload it to this app and it'll tell you which celebrity you look like because like a lot of the time it's real wrong and it could be really racist twitter well, can't even figure out i don't speak french <laughs> like, I'm like.
2: Anyway, sorry. But beyond on. that, I mean, the the face recognition stuff mm-hmm. is yeah. all just to, to be stored in a database for some for some other nefarious yep. use or potentially a law enforcement use that the Scott Brysons of the world don't want us to know that they've already have you know yep. some some handle on. Right? So,
1: hot tip: if an app or something cool on the internet is ever asking you to upload a photo, don't do it. Two: if you have a facial facial recognition phone, turn it off because you don't need to do that either. And it's just taking more pictures of your face. Three,
0: stop giving your DNA away to like 23 (laughs) and me. Yes. Because I swear to God, I was just like, y'all don't listen to the podcast because we talked about this. My mom. We talked about 23 and me being bought by Galaxo Smith, Klein, Mm. or entering a partnership. And what do you think they're going to do with your DNA?
1: My mom. What do you think? So my mom's on it and that's fine. Like she can make her own decisions as an adult. She's like, well, if I bought you one, would you use it? I was like, absolutely not. She's like, well, why? Why won't you use it? She's like deeply offended that I wouldn't use I'm Like because I don't want to give my data and information about my DNA. Literally your
2: DNA is the most like the utmost private thing
0: about you.
1: Yeah. Like I'm giving away private information all the time. I'm not giving that away. Sorry. Like that's
0: nor the 10 year challenge, by the way. Listen, I it's didn't upload it. Challenge.
1: It was where you like put a pic- picture of you ten years ago and now, oh. so you can like so. And I like oh right, right, right. I didn't participate so in it. That's yeah, to yeah, teach that's facial, recognition. facial recognition. So I, I didn't. I, I never did a side by side. I just uploaded a bunch of individual pictures of me from like that were old,
2: that are already probably online. They were
1: already yeah. on Facebook. So like, what do I care?
0: Right, right, right. Exactly. The the problem and and I'm not I'm not trying to be alarmist here, but. I am just saying be listen I was an Android user for a long time and then Apple was like well you know and I'm not sure that Apple is even on the up and up but I'm mm. I'm okay with being like making those small steps but what sold me was that was that I'm like oh maybe my my data is a little bit more pro- just a little bit more mm. protected just a little bit because our lawmakers aren't Doing the job because there is a huge digital liter- blah, 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 digital literacy divide, and this is really an issue. This this inter intersection between data and discrimination really is mm-hmm. interesting to me, and I really do think that in this country, at least in the states, they start talking about it. In this country, we talk about tech and and digital from an innovation standpoint or a business slash shareholder standpoint, not from a societal standpoint. And that bothers me that there's no like tech beat on that. That bothers me. It really, really does. Anyway, that's my rant
1: here for it. All right. So I want to talk about kind of an obscure story that was on the CBC. Um, And so this Case dates back to 2010, um, when a teacher in London, Ontario, was caught secretly filming students' faces, chests, and cleavage with a spy pen. So this teacher would record conversations when the student would come talk to him, and like aim the pen down their shirts and take videos of their their breasts. And eventually, he was caught. And uh, in 2015, um, the original trial judge uh determined that the teacher had violated students privacy by using the spy pen but because his conviction required um so there had to be two two separate standards i think is what it is is that the word well, like not, he had to meet, I, he had to I meet two. He was, I mean, ultimately, the, things.
2: ultimately, the trial judge was mistaken because there was a list of criteria in the code set in the code that would qualify for voyeurism, but for some reason, the trial judge overemphasized the uh, sexual, the element of the on of yeah, the. Yeah. So that, there were
1: there were two things they wanted to to satisfy privacy, and they also wanted to satisfy sexual purpose, and so the f- initial trial judge found that it satisfied the privacy element, but not the sexual purpose element because I guess when you have videos ranging from six seconds to two and a half minutes of teenage girls aged 14 to 18 and their breasts that there's no sexual intent involved at all. Um, So this went to the Ontario court of appeal and uh, most of the judges on that bench ruled that the, the, the teacher did act with sexual intent, but still upheld the acquittal arguing that students on school property have no reasonable expectation of privacy because there are 24-hour surveillance cameras in and around the school which are visible to everyone. Um, So this week, the Supreme Court of Canada um, found issued its ruling that um, basically uh, it was a unanimous, unanimous decision and they said that students doing everyday activities at school don't give up their privacy rights, even if that school maintains security cameras, so basically they found that one uh the teacher was acting with sexual intent, and two that their privacy rights were violated because there was no reason why he should have been filming just a conversation of them, and if he wanted to just you know record a conversation for purposes for I don't know marking or whatever, then he could have just used an audio recorder really. Um, but basically, uh, chief justice Wagner said that privacy is the concept of freedom from unwanted scrutiny, intrusion, or attention, and that the explicit focus of the videos on the bodies of the students recorded, including their breasts, leaves me in no doubt that the videos were made in violation of the students' reasonable expectation of privacy. So yeah, I feel like Eric and I are kind of on the same, on the same vein this week. Um, it is shocking to me that two lower courts didn't think that this guy was acting with sexual intent. Um, I also find it interesting that the Ontario court of appeals didn't think that, you know, um, students don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy, but like security cameras are there to catch nefarious activity like drug deals or fights or other types of assaults and like misbehavior Uh, teachers aren't there to just like police individual students for no reason whatsoever. Um, but then the whole like sexual intent thing, like is very bizarre. Like if a girl, a teenage girl isn't allowed to wear a spaghetti strap tank top to school because she's going to be, you know, distracting to her male students, uh, then a teacher absolutely should be not able to film some teenage girl's cleavage. Um, Anyway, his lawyers are very upset by this, and uh, they just basically say that the Supreme Court took an expansive definition of what constitutes a reasonable expectation of privacy and cast the net of criminal liability too wide. They continued saying, the majority's decision risks eroding this distinction and capturing conduct, which, while offensive ought not to attract the personal ruin, stigma, and deprivation of liberty that accompanies a conviction for a criminal offense. Listen, clearly they think (laughs) that this guy was being disgusting, but that, like, he wasn't really violating people's privacy because, well, they're in public.
2: Or he's disgusting, but not enough to be disgusting and attracting and the stigma of criminalization, yeah. yeah, because that's for other people, not teachers who have fancy James Bond esque like pens with like s- surveillance cameras <laughs> and like really the lengths this guy went through, it is just like beyond, beyond.
1: It's so weird, like, and also like some... you should
2: be criminalized if you have to like go that long and yeah, to, and then like, there was some like other un...
1: ogle some boobs, you know, yeah, other also like. Clearly, like, if you one have to like record some boobs, uh, are you not like, are you socially incapable of like engaging with women outside of that, like, or are you just a pedophile?
2: Like, I mean, honestly, there's two situations. Honestly, it's a wonder to me that there weren't, um, like even charges. Like, I mean, I I, again, not super versed in the criminal law, but I feel like there should be something nearing um not just like for pedophilia but for like child this is like a bro- borderline child pornography yeah. honestly yeah like it's like t- and i mean i know that that's probably not the test for it it's like but it's it it really like it's, it just about is there
1: yeah give, you, you'll give a little nip free the nip and uh um, i mean it, no, this, this is, is also so weird because this is like the same week where like some ontario teacher was convicted or found or arrested for child pornography charges.
2: Yeah, I mean this shit happens all the time. It should be taken seriously. The fact that the lower courts were so dismissive of it, uh, or the lower court was dismissive of it, the court of appeal was similarly like unable to like really comprehend what was going on here. It seems so obvious on its face that one, this is a breach, both a breach of privacy and sexual in nature. There's frankly no other explanation uh, for it. But beyond that, like the length that this person has gone gone to uh, to engage in this kind of uh, surveilling activity is beyond what you know security cameras as you say would do or other types of uh, surveillance that a teacher might engage in in supervising students like um, I mean it's just an insult to anyone's intelligence that these like arguments were advanced yeah the, the tech and uh, privacy and the tech and gender aspects are really important. The other news item that sort of was circulating a couple of weeks back and also bears relevance here is the use of GPS to monitor um, like for like in in domestic situations that men would use GPS to monitor women and their, their comings and goings and use that to control, manipulate or like generally uh, surveil. Is that the Saudi
0: Arabia case? Yeah. uh, And that happens uh, here too though, which is
2: like the broader conversation we need to have because it does happen in the, there's one the specific Saudi app that now Apple is looking at, like removing and other folks are like uh, you know looking at re-examining why it was allowed on their platforms Mm -hmm. but i mean typically like or rather generally speaking the same gps capability uh like the use of gps in that way to like surveil people and surveil women specifically still exists so like there's so so many different variations of how technology is creeping in and being used in ways that are an extension of either discriminatory or harassing or um, in this case, like frankly, a form of sexual violence, um, you know, against minors or against you know other folks um, that were our laws are not equipped to deal with, or at least our, can, our our rudimentary conception of how our laws are don't know how to deal with, and obviously what the court is doing here is not expanding the law, but is reinterpreting the law in the way that the new technology is being used. And that's what they're supposed to do. Right. And that's why we have a form of uh, we have a charter. We have legal principles that are based on the a living a living tree uh doctrine that it is expanding and growing to adapt for these sorts of things so it doesn't have to be spelled out um and frankly i don't even i don't even buy the argument that they're reaching i think it's pretty plain on its face that there were both violations of privacy yeah. and yeah. and sexual but even if
0: there weren't like but i think this is, is definitely in to, the spirit to, to of the go law to the supreme court to well, it, tells, it tells you how telling. troubling yeah exactly for sure and- so question. So Amy, you were one of the lawyers involved on the um, Jim Watson suit.
2: Not as a lawyer, as a witness. Ah, as a a witness. As a would-be witness that never came to pass. so you, I believe,
0: had to explain how Twitter worked, right?
2: Yeah, so we obviously never went to a hearing on uh, Jim Jim Watson's Twitter use. He acquiesced Um, everybody. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I had been asked and uh, completed an affidavit that would testify to how Twitter works, uh, which I think would have been a real, (laughs) depending on the draw of what judge we would have gotten and in that case could have been a real hurdle.
0: I just wonder how much of technol again, how much of that digital or lack of digital literacy mm-hmm. plays into these decisions mm-hmm. now. Like to us, it oh, is yeah. it is plain to see mm-hmm. that if you carry in a it, an obscured um, video recording device to record students, and especially what you recorded. Mm-hmm. because i always say like what you choose to highlight is telling right well there's so many facets too also yeah. the relationship of trust i think
2: was like huge in this case the fact that they were minors the fact that like um you know there there was no aware in the sense like in the one and, and you don't need uh necessarily consent per se to be recording someone but the fact that you didn't have consent and whereas like in a video like with surveillance cameras you know that they're there so you appreciate that they're there they and na- you don't require that level of um like a, of an exchange of consenting to to being surveilled but like certainly when someone is like as you say obscuring that they're recording you like that's got to count for a and lot and
0: that's not their position like that's not yeah their, it's not like the security guard it's not is like yeah, yeah it's not in their in their job description yeah.
2: Well, like and, as, and as it this turns, surveillance,
0: yeah. like like this surveillance society that is creeping on us, actually it's here, mm-hmm. um, is really, really bothersome to me. Well, there's all
2: sorts of monitoring that happens yeah. now, like you'll see employers do it, too, where they monitor people's social media and other things and then try to use it to justify like, you know, um, Disciplinary actions in the workplace, and yeah. we're very guarded in labor and employment law around like what happens off duty, and your off-duty privacy is like, you know, pretty sacrosanct, and mm-hmm. we have to have those boundaries between private and, and your work life. Um,
0: and or then, else companies can yeah. dictate your private
2: life, right? And so there yeah. are some things that you could do on social media if you talk about your work that c- could cause implications of discipline but then there are other things for example there are a lot of employer policies out there now after cannabis legalization where they say you know you can't you can't partake in any cannabis xml around the time of your shift and some are saying 28 days some are 24 hours are all bullshit they're, they're all frankly overbroad and illegal in my opinion but we'll deal with that mm-hmm. um and employers are using it to monitor people under private accounts that are not publicly available to say, "Oh, you were smoking at home on this day. We're going to now discipline you for not following the cannabis policy and all sorts of shit." Like it's it's real. I see it all the time.
0: Like this is some civil liberties charter rights and freedom yeah. shit. I yeah. just oh for I'm sure just, it's huge. I'm and that's just, the context in which this case was decided. I, yeah, and 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 this is the thing. Like I, we need to have a conversation. Yeah, but before we have that conversation we really 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 need to narrow that digital li- literacy divide or else we're gonna have a bunch of as Aaron says octogenarians or mm. even 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 people in their 40s and 50s yeah. who don't know shit who are making these decisions for society not fully understanding the implications of what that means for society or as but it's I also the rate of it now the yeah. scott bryson mantra right
2: but it's also the rate of technological
0: advances right. alway- will
2: always be greater than the rate of like our ability to like reach a political or societal consensus on anything yeah so there will always be a leg like the law is always behind the t- like the actual times the way people sure. live um, but it, and that gap is gr- like it's, it's yeah. growing, it's yeah. widening yeah. because of the, the rate of advancement of tech. Well,
0: I think and the problem with that is that because institutions seem so woefully out of touch, people don't believe in them anymore and don't believe that they can deliver on their mandates. Mm-hmm. And therefore, then private industry steps in and says, oh, we can do this. We can do that. And then next thing you know, you've just written away all your rights because you need some life insurance or you need some home insurance or you need a fucking bus pass. This is my problem. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, where we're going. And I feel like it's not even being discussed and it is bothering me. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's my thing.
2: Uh, okay so for uh, oh that was Aaron's. <laughs> yeah that was Aaron
0: sorry I totally
2: hijacked so, it no, no we both
0: hijacked it. <laughs> sorry it Aaron. was a really no.
2: it was a really important topic though and uh, I'm glad that I'm just very happy with the outcome like I yeah. think a lot of people were kind of holding their breath yeah. uh, Friday morning waiting for that decision so
0: well I'm glad we're talking about this on this podcast on this day right now because I I just want people to realize that we're heading into an election year i mean an election a huge election it's going to be ugly it's going to be spiteful it's going to be very digital and it's going to be on the internet it's going to be this election will be fought on the internet so that's all i'm saying anyway sorry no it's all all good go on uh so i just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the
2: uh Twitter controversy that happened this uh, week with Democratic Representative uh, Ilhan Omar, who was uh, tweeted uh, in response to uh, Glenn Greenwald writing about uh, GOP leader Kevin McCarthy, um, who was making threats around uh, both Omar and uh, Rashida Taleb uh, around their criticism of Israel. And he was, uh, and you know, McCarthy's been out there saying that, you know, they're, uh, they're, Criticism is really out of bounds that they should be reined in by the by the Dems. Um, and, uh, you know, Gre- Glenn Greenwald's weighing in, saying, you know, it's it's interesting that you're trying to restrict the freedom of, of speech of, of these Americans. Fine. Uh, and Ilhan Omar's res- response and tweet is it's all about the Benjamin's baby with the, with the little uh, saw like note, musical note emojis, uh, kind of riffing on P. Diddy um and of course that started a whole firestorm a lot of folks uh calling uh, from from both republican and democratic side calling her tweets um anti-semitic that they stereotype jewish people and money of course that's not at all the spirit or even the intention or even at all remotely close to what was going on here she's omar is speaking specifically about The influence of the American-Israeli Public Affairs Committee (APAC), which is a powerful lobbying group, uh, Israeli lobbying group in the U.S. that gives significant amounts um, to individual candidates and to both political parties. That has that's hugely influential in American politics. Um, And uh, I mean, you need look no further than um, you know any academic work, including uh, the Israeli lobby, a, a significant. Uh, significant political science work from a handful of years ago that was, you know, a New York Times bestseller. But of course, when someone who is Muslim, especially a Black Muslim woman, makes comments like this, you can expect that the backlash is different than when you know a scholar like Mearsheim or Walt from University of Chicago and Harvard write about it. You know, they don't quite get the same uh, same backlash. Um, but uh, you even had Donald Trump calling for Omar to resign by the end of the week. Uh, which is uh, laughable as she rightly pointed out was, was exactly laughable from someone who has been peddling hate speech uh, since before his time in office. So I, she was, uh, g- good to respond then and she did apologize at one point in the week about the um, inference that could have been drawn from her tweet it was very gracious and in, in her response and I think a lot of people uh, took heart in that but it was still frustrating to see the why she would even have to uh, clarify that her comment was not anti-semitic when she was making a like very simple and pretty astute like three letter three word comment uh, on Twitter Um, about something that is uh, widely known and understood. But you also had um, just sort of frustrating response from so many people, including Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, who, you know, was all you know commenting about how Omar had apologized and how how much that showed that she had grown when in fact like the really that's not the fucking point the point is that she was attacked precisely because she was a racialized person speaking about um, speaking about Israel um, and and uh, one people seem to think that there is like an inherent bias when Muslim or Arab people or racialized people talk about Israel um, and that uh, that and then they project these ideas of anti-Semitism as a smokescreen to shut down debate Um, and so instead of dealing with that you had people like AOC and many others sort of like saying oh well she apologized she's so good this is what more people should do instead of actually dealing with the discrimination and I mean it's frustrating because when we talk about you know critiques of Israel like there's a lot to be said I mean the Israeli lobby is one thing but even from a race perspective you know Israel is a white supremacist settler colonial state really like in very clear terms and we we saw the height of that um last year when israel was turning away black refugees black jewish refugees from coming and settling in israel by the tens of thousands right um as there are 40,000 african refugees who were uh turned away from israel last year um, and uh, were offered a choice between imprisonment and leaving Israel f- with only three hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. And they were, you know, you had Benjamin Netanyahu using all sorts of scaremongering techniques. Um, Uh, around uh you sort of vilifying uh african immigrants in israel with with the white with the white israeli population and so you know it's really like we can talk about anti-semitism anti-semitism is fucking real and it's terrible when it happens but this isn't it and there has to be room for like legitimate debate and critique of israel especially by black muslim folks and black folks in general and certainly elected leaders who are speaking from a from a place um you know Israel for all for you know whatever like is is cannot be above reproach and it also does not speak for all Jewish people. So to equate critiques of Israel with anti-Semitism is to say that Israel speaks for all Jewish people when it clearly does not speak for Black Jewish migrants and it doesn't speak for you know uh, other other folks who are you know Jewish and not within Israel and certainly it doesn't speak for a lot of Jewish Americans either. But that's what AIPAC, the Israeli lobby, is has been able to to do is to kind of recharacterize the debate and ma- and making it literally impossible for anyone to have an intelligent or intelligible debate about Israel. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just disappointing to see that even progressive Democrats um, weren't really uh, having uh,
0: uh, Ilhan Omar's back in all of this. Okay, so when I saw this on the docket, I was like, "Good Lord, what am I gonna say? <laughs> because this is an issue that I don't really talk about for a reason. okay? Number one, um, it's not my lane, So I don't talk about it really. I don't have The, the expertise I have is I have historical knowledge of um, the region through a, through a couple a few classes. And have read on some stuff. I feel as though, but I will tell you what I've observed. What I've observed is that the women's movement, the progressive movement, the whatever movement on the left is going to have some problems when it tries to reconcile black Muslims with established, um, upper class Jewish entities who have been, uh, let's just say more or less traditionally on the left side of things. There's going to be a reckoning sometime. And I'm not sure. And I think we're just starting with, with, um, with Congresswoman Omar Omar, 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 sorry, my bad. Um, I think that that this sort of controversy and the fact that Talib was say was on that side too, is going to really <laughs> I think it's going to cause a chasm in terms of the Democratic Party and progressive movements in general. And the part of the reason is that there's an, there's, there's an established post-war narrative on jews and on israel Mm -hmm. when you bring black muslims into the mix or racialized people into the mix who are jewish or who are muslim who are part of that middle east (laughs) all i'm saying is that that's gonna go out the window there's gonna be there's yeah go ahead yeah
1: i I know how this is going to sound, but I sometimes feel as though people can't critique any sort of Israeli or I guess Jewish policy if you're racialized because immediately that criticism is going to be seen as anti-Semitic. Yes. And like, I, don't, is- I like just because you're criticizing someone doesn't mean you're against them. You're challenging someone's opinion. So, like, let's say Erica believes that I don't know Chinese people hate black people, which like is a fair assumption. <laughs> I'm not going to call her a racist for thinking, for 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 believing that. Because, you know, her experience and history and whatever could be fueling that belief and that her experience. But, like, you know, I have to be, you know, secure, one, in my perspective, two, in my experience, three, in the history, and be like, yeah, you know what? You're probably right. And, you know, these are the things that have happened since then that have changed that perspective. But I'm not going to call her a racist. About but court. you,
0: in turn, could... Tell me about the Chinese experience in Canada and how that perspective or how that history has, has played into sort of like how... We're pitted against each other. Let's say, well, exactly, as, as, as racialized I mean, it's, people, and it's, it's the
1: same thing as like, oh, like pitting women against each other. Okay, well, or like saying, like, oh, well, I don't like this woman, or I don't like her ideas, or I don't like her fucking dress. Be I mean, like, well, you're not a feminist then.
0: Yeah, like the Madeline Albright idea of feminism: any woman who doesn't support another woman is going to ha- fuck you. Anyway, uh, sorry. Coming back to this, it, it, I, I. And you're starting to see this this fray, sort of, in terms of the issue of APEC Israel and Well look, Judaism. I mean the the thing
2: is like that's always been there within the Democratic Party, generally speaking, like within voters and we probably haven't had anyone yeah. elected. Or part of or prominently part of the Democratic Party who is pro Palestine since like maybe Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, who is you you realize like still alive and never mentioned by mm-hmm. anyone. <laughs> um, but that's neither here nor there. But now what's different now is you actually have people elected taking space, um, and part of this, you know, very vocal freshman class. And I mean I like Ehan Omar and Rashida Talib have been great on a number of issues and have been like, just like really stellar. You notice that they get, you know, less coverage than, um, AOC. Yeah. Right. And like, there is a different kind of, uh, like people do treat them like a little bit differently because I think there is a cautious uh, approach by mainstream media and the democratic party about how do you position Muslim people in, in this converse in certain conversations. And I, think,
1: I- think part of it is just because like AOC is very much a socialist democrat and they're like oh well she's socialism and therefore we're gonna attack her because she's a socialist
2: well I think people on the the right have sure. that attack but I mean I don't I think there's also like there are a lot of um folks on the left who could be doing more to to champion these other women and like really don't know what to do with muslim women i think mm-hmm. that that's um, and exactly it's probably it. informed by some degree of of not racism but but uh, like bias around their religion um or religious I think discrimination that that discrimination exactly or just it, like yeah. an, an uh like some sort of view, you know unspoken view, you know view that people have um towards muslim women taking that space and then when they speak on issues like this of course it's very easy to to vilify and attack them um, and I mean, you know, it's to me, I find it encouraging to see that, you know, folks with positions on Palestine or frankly, someone who is Palestinian being elected because for a long time that was like impossible, mm-hmm. like literally impossible. And to, to talk about Palestine is like the, the end of, you know, any uh, even when Obama ran people like he had, I think you know, been in, from when his activist days been around pro-Palestinian movements. I don't think he was ever like really like championing that stuff. There's always that picture that I like to fondly think of where he's sitting at dinner with Edward Said. And I'm just like, Oh, to to be a fly on the wall there. But like, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, and, and all of his connections to more radical, like, movement. Like, people love harping on that shit. And it's all rooted in, racist, like, racist and religiously, like, biased uh, views on, on those. Uh, I
0: love that, it's, that it's women of color. I, I think that, um, and, I, like, I think that we've seen in the last sort of month or so some really, really difficult, Positioning happened, especially with Angela Davis, and I think it was the Alabama or Birmingham some some um, rights group in in yeah. Alabama didn't know whether they were coming or going because they gave her an award. And then she's and then she stood up for the BDS movement. She's
2: always been, and, and she has she's a lo- she's been. written a few books about uh, uh, about not just Palestine but like tying Palestinian and Black liberation right. movements and how they can like learn from one another. So, and she's always been pro-Palestine. So
0: and Black
2: then they people, took, took away her invite and then right. re-invited and then her re-invited, and then took it back took again. Took it back
0: and and it just it just goes it just goes to prove the point that. Nobody knows at this point how to position themselves on this issue because there's a new generation and the new generation. And I would say that a lot of black activists do consider Palestine as an uh, a, a sort of extension of this movement against white supremacy. I don't think that I'm talking out of turn when I say that. So there's a lot of connection there. Mm-hmm. And so What I love is that this is not no longer a foregone conclusion as totally as an elected official that, well, you believe in X, Y and Z if you're on this team, it's like, no, bitch, I grew up in a different reality my history is different. You're going to listen to me take up space on this yeah. issue. And it's not going to be the space that you recommend. It's going to be for my own personal and political and historical knowledge. Mm-hmm. Because I am not, I would never think to to challenge um, Omar, Omar to Ilian Omar to a debate or Rashida Tlaib to a debate on Palestine or on the Middle East. Because I'm like, I'm going to get trounced for a reason. Yeah it's not my reality. And I think that there needs to be sort of, we need to have a discussion on what this is.
2: Well, what like. a missed opportunity to talk about uh, money and lobby, like money and politics and lobbying. But, but eventually mm, people you know?
0: did talk about that. And there were uh, even Jewish people who talked about oh, it. Oh, there are a
2: lot of great Jewish organizations that do talk yeah, about it. Yeah. Um, and they're often silenced and also called anti-Semitic and yes. called self-hating and all this bullshit. Yes. Um, but,
0: and but just, Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. Terrible. Who, but allowed stephen Steve King to do his like his racist Hulleboy, yeah, and then he wants to talk about removing something. get the fuck out yeah. of here, anyway,
1: but I think it ahead. just goes to show like the importance of having women of color and diverse marginalized groups in positions of power and having a seat at the table because you get a different perspective, and you it's not it's far less homogeneous, and you get it like an actual discussion. Of ideas and policies and perspectives so that like any policies you put forward actually have taken into account multiple perspectives and are hopefully less oppressive
0: because black Jews are erased from every from every discussion unless you're like about, about <laughs> right about about being Jewish black people are erased from that conversation And so I'm just, I I see this as sort of like a kind of re-entry of of sort of blackness into this discussion from, I mean, with with Omar, it's from a Muslim perspective, but there, I follow many black Jews, well, not many, but a few black Jews on Twitter who talk about just being Jewish just in a different context, in a different way. And so, those voices too, I hope, are somehow elevated because of the presence of these two women in Congress at the same time, not
1: putting aside their voice too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Great. Well, uh, we'll be back with with misogynists of the week later this week. So uh, get social with us. We're on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy, on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod, Facebook slash Bad and B Podcast, and email us, badandbipod at gmail dot com. Bye.
0: Bye. <laughs>